Hey there, we're about to start our free training, the 3 p.m. teacher that only happens once a year. Teachers are learning how to consistently leave school prepared and on time without bringing work home so that they can finally be present during precious family time at night and on the weekends. When you attend this free training, you get an hour PD certificate and other bonuses when you show up live. You will learn how to lesson plan faster, how to spend less time on grading, your actual teacher type, and how it's preventing you from really leaving school on time. I can't wait for you to join us so that you can finally have the best school year ever. Hey, I'm Kristen Donegan, and you're listening to Real Teacher Talk. I often say what's on a teacher's mind, and my mission is this. Help busy teachers leave school at three so they can finally enjoy their life outside of the classroom. Why? Because I know how tiring it is to have a never-ending checklist as a teacher and miss out on being fully present at home. On Real Teacher Talk, discover how to work smarter, not harder, enjoy teaching again, and still have plenty of time to shut off your brain outside of the classroom to do the things you love. Sound impossible? I promise it isn't. Hey everyone, welcome back to Real Teacher Talk. Today we've got Allie. She is a teacher who I reached out to because I know so many of you are a bit worried about going back to the classroom after the last couple of years you've had. And I know last year behavior and how to manage behavior using best practices is something that many of you struggled with. So Allie, welcome, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Allie's a wife, mom, special educator, children's book author, and social emotional learning coach. She creates resources with a social emotional learning and behavior focus on Teachers Pay Teachers, and she runs the Social Script Library, which I had no idea. It's a monthly membership. She's got a master's degree and over 12 years of professional experience, and she is the go-to resource for educators everywhere. And you are the first person who popped into mind when I was thinking about who can we talk to about the management part. So again, thank you so much for being here. Well, I'm honored you thought of me. So let's chat, I guess, about what to kind of expect with the upcoming school year. And what would you suggest or tell teachers who are really nervous and hesitant about going back? Sure. So when I think of elementary teachers in general, I just picture always every elementary teacher I've ever worked with is very thorough, right? We're used to sharing instructions, modeling instructions, a million times, especially at the beginning of the year, there's tons of different philosophies of get all your routines out of the way, do that for the first like four weeks of school. You know, there's so many elementary ways of thinking when it comes to things like the beginning of the year. So I think our elementary teachers specifically come in with a huge asset because we already do that, right? We're already so big on kind of like rule focus, rule forward, routines focused. I would just say just to be cautious that you're going to have to do that times 10, probably. <laughs> that would be my my way of thinking about it going in, just knowing that t- in a typical year, let's say five years ago, we would have gone in and we would have had so many visuals and gone over so many things and modeled all these different routines with kids, with us, you know, constantly. That's just the norm. 
But just thinking you might have to do that a little bit longer. You might have to be a little bit more explicit. We've got kids that were obviously going to school online where certain routines just weren't part of the day. They were learning different types of routines that they might not ever have to do again. We also have students who missed school, right? They just weren't there. We had kids who, you know, had to be quarantined for so long and their learning was sort of patched together with parents and pods and, you know, all these different types of things. Most of our kids are probably going to be back in the classroom starting this school year, right? It's going to feel a little bit more normal in terms of attendance, but, you know, our kids aren't coming in at the same place that they were before. So making sure that that explicit nature that we already have is sort of like on 10 when we come back. So if it's, I'm thinking, as you said, it's going to be 10 times longer. For me, it was always like the first six weeks were pretty intense where I'd like want to pull my hair out because it's like so much repetition, but it really, really paid off. It's like the foundation for the rest of the year. What would you say now? Are you saying more than six weeks? Would you guess? So I don't know if it's necessarily like a longer amount of time. I would just say that the amount of effort that needs to go into the actual like explicit nature of what you're doing needs to be a little bit more robust. So maybe in the past, you're a fourth grade teacher, you don't need a ton of visuals for the majority of your students. Maybe you do this year. Maybe you have a slide deck that you show them before they go to recess and lunch that just sort of shows the expectations. And you do that for the first week, maybe do it for the first month. Those little pieces that are sort of those reminders, like before we go into the hallway, we're going to do this. This is expected here. And sharing those reminders and those rules and having kids come back and sort of debrief those pieces can be, I think, really helpful. Not necessarily like, oh, instead of six weeks, do it for 12 weeks. You could. But I think those six weeks just need to be more like a boot camp a little bit, you know, just to make sure that kids are we've got every kid on the same page. Now, what would you say to teachers who said, well, last spring, especially, it was so much harder than it's been before as far as behavior and regulating emotions and calling out and and just all those pieces? Which I have definitely seen. We have uh, tons of experts have been saying that executive functioning skills are what are really, that seems to be the root issue of the majority of those things that you just shared, like the emotional regulation, having a really hard time not blurting, all those types of things, it does underlie those emotional regulation pieces. So I do feel like we might need to build in some additional time during the day to actually explicitly teach some of those things that the majority of our kids just sort of pick up over time. But maybe right now it's sort of like, we got to really tackle this. So those explicit instruction of Things like, what does it mean to raise your hand in third grade? You know, maybe feels a little frustrating, but that is sort of where our kids are at at this moment. So back to the basics. So I feel like that could be especially helpful. And then also making sure that there's just this underlying layer of support for kids in the classroom, which I mean, you would think, you know, the majority of us do that anyway, which I'm sure you do. And some of these tips, a lot of things teachers are going to say, good, I already do that. Great. Let's just keep plugging along with what we're doing. But something that I suggest in just about every single classroom, whether you're a PE teacher or you teach fourth grade, it doesn't matter, is having some type of area that's like an emotional regulation corner. I used to call it a calm corner, some type of area that kids have been explicitly taught how to use and can go sort of retreat to take a minute, use some of those coping skills that hopefully you'll be kind of explicitly teaching. So kids kind of know what to do and saying like, Hey, there's no shame in this. We all need it. You know, you as the teacher might use it too. You know, like this is completely normal. We all do it like at our homes, you know, you retreat to your bedroom and take five minutes in your bed, like all very normal, making sure that those underlying pieces and foundations are just 
there in your classroom and that they're prioritized for kids. What would you say then? Because when you're talking about incorporating more SEL into your classroom, I struggled with like finding the time. Like we were lucky enough to have a school social worker who would come and and present lessons and things like that, but it still wasn't enough. So what would you say to the teacher who's like, this sounds great and I want to, but like, when do I make the time for that? I always had in my classroom and I've seen many and many of the teachers that I'm working alongside right now do this as well, have a morning meeting and a closing circle at the end of the day. And those two times can be great times to just sort of punctuate those lessons that you're sort of tossing in throughout the day. And when it really comes to SEL overall, and this can be hard to do at first, but once you start to do it as a teacher, you'll start to realize, well, I've actually been doing this and, oh, this is easier than I thought, is really embedding it throughout your day. So as you're about to start math, if you've noticed like there's a group of kids that like can't stop learning, get really frustrated during math, these types of things, that's the kind of the time when you're like, let's infuse this. Let's use some affirmations. Let's make sure that I'm going over like when and if you need it, the calm corners right here. These are some of the strategies you can try making sure that you're really going over those things in the heat of the moment, sort of as a proactive strategy, rather than necessarily always relying on like, oh, the 20 minutes after lunch is SEL time, if that makes sense. No, that makes sense. And you actually helped with my teacher guilt because I'm like, oh, we did morning meetings every day. We did do like a closing. We just didn't call it that. The morning meetings we did, those were so powerful absolutely love morning meeting time. If those of you who are listening who are like, I don't know what that is. I think it was with Responsive Classroom, right? Where they had a whole list of different things you could do. Yes. They have an amazing like framework and format for morning meeting. The best website, because that's the year I was like, I'm going to move away from the clip chart and figure out what else I can be doing. Um, But morning meetings made a big difference and just getting to connect. Yeah. And it's a great way just to kind of set up the foundation of the day too. And again, all teachers are just automatically great at this because this is why we went into teaching. But making sure that that morning meeting helps with that classroom connection piece and making sure the kids feel safer in the classroom. And so morning meeting is just a great way to kind of kick off the day in that way. And then closing circle kind of does the same thing. No matter how the day went, if it was really rough, you had to clear the room, you had teachers in and out supporting just like a tricky day, you can end it on a more positive note. So at least, hey, the last time that we were together in the classroom, we sang a song together, we did a chant, we set a goal for tomorrow, and it was okay. You leave feeling better. Yeah, I love that. What would you say to teachers right now? Because I've, I've been seeing it for years. I totally get it. The whole clip chart debate. And you know, you've seen their research and things like that. What would you say to a teacher right now who's really struggling with like, okay, I'm ready to get rid of it? But then what? So the clip chart, not my favorite, but I understand the reason why people use it. It's easy. So it's important to remember why the clip chart sometimes works. And a lot of times it works because the kids are a little bit scared, right? And so as the teacher, though it can be a little tempting, trust me, I've been there. Um, to, like when kids are afraid of you, you're like, well, at least they're listening. But we don't want that. You know, that's not what we want for kids. And overall, we know that the clip chart in general is not teaching them what we want to teach them, right? We don't really want to teach them, like, be afraid of me calling your dad. We want kids to say, oh, I actually know what to do with these situations. So while this isn't always like a tidy, easy, implementable answer, I think the best way to do it is think about those behaviors that typically would make you move a clip, 
and teach those behaviors. What do you want them to do instead? And when that happens, that's when the praise comes in. That's when we're like really highlighting those things, making sure that kids are getting those like positive calls home, those positive notes home. We're shouting them out in class if that's something that is helpful for them. What makes you move the clip down? Teach the opposite of that. Does that make sense? No, totally. It does. And then what would you say for the ones who are like, okay, but this is still this unwanted or unexpected behavior still happening. A lot of teachers tell me they're like, I struggle with coming up with logical consequences to that because we're so used to, you know, you take away recess or you miss fun Friday or whatever it may be. Right. Which again, is an easy way to do it, but you're not, they probably miss fun Friday every Friday. You might notice, you know, like it's not really working. I feel like that's something you just learned growing up. That's what teachers did. That's how it was at home. Like you act up, like you lose something. So I'm happy to see this shift, especially now that I'm a mom, I would do things a lot different in my classroom with something. So yeah, this is one that pops up a lot where teachers are like, okay, well then what? So another great resource to lean on that we just talked about is responsive classroom. They have so many awesome tips and tools about logical consequences. And there's in, in their framework, they have three different types of consequences and like what those look like and when you would implement each one. In my classroom, I had some pretty specific things that kids would generally always do, whether it was talking back, not doing their work, et cetera, et cetera. Those like things that just like they happen all the time. I had them written out and what the logical consequence was next to it. And the kids all knew. So it's sort of like, well, when this happens, this is what's going to happen. And if it keeps happening, that's when you have to have those Problem-solving conversations, you bring in other people in the school, whether you have a school counselor or a social worker, maybe you have a dean, someone who would come in and support and help kind of figure that out because that's becoming more of a tier two situation and then might end up being a tier three situation, right? So you've done the tier one, let's bring in somebody to help with you know, this behavior that's not really responding to the tier one interventions that we have in the classroom. So what would you say, what would some examples be if someone is calling out or talking back or throwing things in the classroom? Sure. Well, it really depends on your class, right? So it's hard for me. I have a lot of people that ask, like, what is a logical consequence to this? I'm like, I don't know. What's your classroom makeup? So for me, I had my day set up where it was when the students finished a kind of a chunk of work, we had a little bit of free time or choice time. So it was sort of like that was built into the day that was built into the schedule. And so when you finished your work and a teacher looked at it and was like, yep, you got it. This is done. We didn't rush through it. We did it effectively. You got the concept. Then they would move on to choice time. So if you're not doing your work, you're unfortunately going to miss that. So that was like, I had set that up purposefully in my classroom. So it's sort of like, well, the logical consequences, you're still working on it because you were playing, you were distracting your friend, whatever. Like you had to sit out and go do X, Y, or Z because of the behavior that was happening. So therefore you're you're missing this time. You know, it's sort of a, a logical next step. So for me, after that, it wouldn't necessarily be like you miss this. So then like in two hours, you're going to miss recess, right? Because that's not super logical, right? It's like, this is the natural next step. Or like you broke something. Well, you really, you need to fix it, clean it up. And as you're doing that, naturally that might bleed into other time too. So like there might be some more natural consequences that sort of follow with the fact that you had to take time to clean this up. So now this happened, you know, it's like, that's natural. That's what happens in real life. So I feel like that really is teaching the actual skill of what happens when I'm disruptive and distracting, you know, harms other people. And it also harms me, you know, like my day is, is now changed because I made this choice. Right. And I think the debrief piece is also really big 
can be hard for a lot of kids, but when you have sort of a structured conversation to follow, can be really helpful for kids to really think about, okay, what am I going to do next time this happens? And what would that look like in your classroom? So I have these little think sheets that I would always use with kids. And I always made them super differentiated because you never know, you know, is this even a kiddo who like is, is really capable with writing and can verbally express themselves well in that moment, they might not be able to. So making sure that I had different types, like, are you just circling something? Are we going to do this together? Are you going to do it by yourself? Really depends on the kid, but making sure that it's a restorative piece where we're saying what happened, you know, from your perspective, how did you feel? How did other people feel? What are you going to do to make this right? You know, how are we going to fix this? And depending on the age of the student, you can go really deep into, you know, what what am I going to do when this happens next time? What are some words I can use to kind of like match to what happened? And you can really, you know, get into some great stuff. If they're little, keep it a little bit more basic. But I think those conversations can really build and help kids make those connections to their behavior and then sort of the consequences that followed. Well, I see that with my three and a half year old. So I can imagine the impact right on bigger kids. And if everyone was doing this, you know, at home and at school, can you imagine like how amazing that would be? Right. And I think about that too. I was actually a really capable and totally seemingly very regulated student, but at home, my parent, I was a terror at home. I was an absolute terror. I was the ex- exact picture perfect dictionary or encyclopedia picture of the kid that held it together at school and then fell apart at home. And my parents tried everything. And I mean, I'll say it was definitely very generational for them. But like, there was a lot of timeouts, there was a lot of soap in my mouth, there was a lot, you know, like, and like, guess what, I kept doing it, you know, so but I think about those things too, like, if they had had the tools in their toolbox to do that, they would have and it would have been I just I'm so curious, like what would have happened if that had been sort of the the reverse of that, you know, would I have been able to express myself more and maybe wouldn't have run around screaming and bit my brother and, you know, all that good stuff. So that's me. My regulation absolutely stinks when I'm at home or like with my husband. Other people are great, but when you're in you're like your safe place, it's... Yeah. I mean, and that's so common, you know? Totally. Can you imagine though? Because I think about this too, like with gentle parenting or different things with my daughter. I'm like, well, gosh, like how much has changed? Like what's it going to be like in 20 years? Like like when she has kids, you know, that's going to be just like so interesting. Yeah. What's going to be the switch? Yeah. Huh. Last thing, what would just be your piece of advice or your tip to a teacher who's like, I'm, I'm ready to take this on this year is going to be what it's going to be and to give them a little bit of inspiration about heading back. Yeah. So I would think about sort of what we just said, like your inner child, what do you wish that teachers did for you in certain circumstances? Maybe you were the kid that got a lot of clip downs on your chart. Maybe you were the kid that watched a lot of it. And you remember that kid that got clipped down all the time. We all have those memories. Think about that. And then also think about yourself. Like, what do you want as a teacher? And knowing that like, of course, things are going to happen and you're going to do things that you're like, I really wish I did that differently. That is very normal. Happens to all of us. So give yourself some grace with it, but also allow yourself to say, I'm going to tackle this one piece. Like, I want to tackle this this year. This is something that I really want to own. I want the kids to always like know that they can go to the calm corner and that they've got strategies to use. Or I want to make sure that the kids are feeling really empowered in math because that's where things tend to fall apart. Whatever that situation is, own it. No, you can't do it all, 
but you can do something and just take it and own it. And best of luck to you. Drink a lot of water and bring good snacks. You're so sweet because I'd be like, drink a lot of wine when you get home. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being here. Can you tell us a little bit more? Because I didn't know you had a monthly membership. What does that mean? So I create social scripts, which um, often people call them social stories, social narratives. They're used in a variety of settings. The research is all surrounding children with autism, but there's a lot of anecdotal research that it works for pretty much all kids. So I create them across the board for so many different scenarios and situations. You can find them all. There's also an ability for anyone who joins the library to be able to give me a recommendation. Like, what are you looking for? Is there a topic that you'd like to see? So every month I add some new ones. Every single one that's in my Teachers Pay Teachers store is already in the library. And then there's some exclusive ones too. Awesome. Well, we'll leave all the links below. Can you tell us right now where teachers can find you and follow and collaborate with you? Sure. So you can find me on Instagram. That's where I'm the most active. And my handle is underscore misbehavior. And I am pretty active on my blog too, misbehaviorblog.com. And I have a ton of behavior and social emotional resources on Teachers Pay Teachers under the same name. All right. We will link all that for all of you to check out. I really appreciate you being here and giving teachers some more hope and um, some more confidence and knowing that it's going to be okay. And every day is like learning and growing as a teacher. And you gave some really valuable, actionable tips, things that I will still continue to use with my little one at home as I'm still trying to figure it out. We all are. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you for being here. Everyone else, thanks for tuning in this week. Make sure to go take some time for yourself. You work so dang hard. So whether it's a walk around the block, reading your favorite book, whatever it is, take some time out of the day for you. And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Real Teacher Talk. I know how difficult it can be to balance teaching and home life, so if you are looking for additional support, I encourage you to head on over to easyteachingtools.com and get on our email list. You will receive our latest organization tips, classroom management strategies, engaging lessons, and even some freebies. Sign up at easyteachingtools.com forward slash 3pm podcast. Thanks so much for listening.